Hey, thanks so much for listening in to the Better Podcast. Wherever you're listening to this from, I want to say a big thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Mo, to the show. It's um, it's been a long time coming. I've always wanted to have you on as a guest, mostly because you're such a big part of my journey in fitness. So thanks so much for making time. Love it. Love the topic. Uh, don't have to twist my arm and talk about this stuff. So yeah, love to be here. One of the things that you're most known for is, apart from being a competitor, is being a father to four amazing kids. So can you tell us a little bit more about life in the Mulgrad household? You know, it's like uh, we, we parent with a lot of uh, freedom, I guess you would say. And so that produces, I think, like two different extremes. Like when you give a lot of freedom, kids can make a lot of messes. And so mm-hmm. sometimes... Sometimes we're cleaning up, you know, we're cleaning up messes and putting out fires like a lot. I would say I was more so when they were younger. Kids are now nine, uh, nine, almost eight, six and four. So now that they're a little older, um, with that freedom that we've given, it seems to produce a lot of independence. Mm -hmm. So like, there's a lot of times where it's like, where are they? (laughs) What what are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) because they play like they're playing independent or you know i mean just okay so like what did we do what did we do this morning like this morning was uh a lot of drama around the lizard that was caught and found (laughs) found and caught (laughs) you know uh around uh you know um jump squat competitions was part of the morning you know zucchini bread baking uh you know but a lot of that stuff is just driven by them so it's real interesting dynamic in our house um, sometimes that freedom can be a little bit messy and sometimes that freedom produces a lot of independent play and work and study to mm-hmm. where it's kind of quiet, uh, uh, in a sense of them kind of doing their own thing. So, uh, I think you get a little bit of both there. Yeah. Has it always been the case where you guys were just super, you know, you've given them so much freedom? Um, you know what? I think so. I think we... And I don't really know exactly why, per se, uh, but I think from a very young age, we believed a lot in their potential. Like, we always treated them a little bit older than maybe the status quo mm-hmm. would have and mm-hmm. gave them responsibilities and, and made them believe they could do things or, or um, kind of achieve things that maybe most kids at that young of an age aren't told they can do. Mm-hmm. And so when you're asking a four-year-old to like, you know, um, create a business plan and sell something, <laughs> you know, like you then have to give them the freedom to execute. And so we've always just kind of been on the, the other end of the spectrum in terms of like just believing that they were really, really capable. And I think along with that then came this, you know, this uh, idea that we really wanted to give the maximum freedom. Right. That. That, I think that's really cool, and it shows in the way that they speak for themselves as well. Um, the other thing that I was kind of thinking of is just how much freedom is negligence and how much of it is actual freedom, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> a lot of 100%. parents could just go, well, I'm just trying to let them be themselves, when in actual fact, they just want to take that as selfish time to go do something that they actually want to do. Absolutely. And I think it's a fine line. And I think a lot of people would look at us and be like, that's negligence. <laughs> you know, like, like we definitely, our family makes people uncomfortable with the amount of freedom that we give. Um, the amount of, you know, well, if our kid does something 
and make some mess, we will let them clean that up. And lots of times that takes longer. Um, and it's, you know, more awkward, uh, in how, you know, the, the cleanup takes place. Mm -hmm. Uh, it can actually offend people around us at times. Um, you know, so it's, I, I don't have a great answer for like, you know, how to navigate like which is which, but I definitely can tell you that, um, from the outside looking in, it, it could definitely look, it could look like negligence. And I think you have to, if you're really going to parent with the type of freedom, um, that, you know, we think is really valuable, then I think you've really got to be willing to not care a whole lot what other people are thinking because you'll mm. always then resort to rescuing your child rather than kind of letting them clean up their mess. Right. It sounds like with um, the kind of freedom you're talking about, it comes from a place of understanding that in order for them to live to their full potential, they have to be given not just the freedom to do it, but also the tools to do it. So that's sort of the difference, I think, from what I hear from you saying between negligence and freedom. Yeah, for it? sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of keys that are going to help them navigate that freedom that we as parents can give. I'm not, I'm not talking about completely hands off, uh, by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the environment that, that we create, um, you know, and we need to be creating a safe environment for them at the same time when you're actually letting kids, <laughs> be kids, then uh, we all know as parents that safety is sometimes compromised. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of take this as a segue to dive into a tool that you've given them. You've yeah. decided to give Jamin and Maya social media accounts earlier this year. And that's Correct. a huge tool. Correct. Uh, not just for kids, but also like even for like teenagers, right? Yeah. What's the, what's the story behind that? Uh, I think the short answer is like the internet is a powerful tool and I don't think it's going anywhere. So I don't think it's a fad. I don't think communicating, um, online and just the interconnectedness of the world right now is, I think it's here to stay. So our thought was, you know, how, if they're going to need that skill, and that's going to be of great value to them and others, you know, when, when do you get them started? And I just think we took a look at our older two and said, we think they can handle it now. Like, so it was just a, it's a real individual thing for us of mm -hmm. can our nine-year-old and seven-year-old, do they have the maturity to begin to handle uh, this type of communication that we think is here to stay and that we think could really benefit them long-term um, and benefit others long-term and it was just, the answer was yes, they had the maturity. Right. And how long have they had these social media accounts for? Gosh, you probably know better than I do. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think Jamin was February. He's seven. He's almost eight. So, you know, almost an eight-year-old. And then mm -hmm. Maya was a little bit before that. So uh, probably as she turned nine. So nine, you know, as she turned nine, and then it's pretty much as he turned eight. Right. Um and this decision to give them social media accounts, was that, did you weigh their personalities into account, their age? Like, cause I know a lot of parents would just say, all right, when you turn 12, that's when we're going to give you one. And then it becomes kind of like, well, why 12? That's kind of arbitrary. Then you could have a very grown up kid who's nine years old, who could also use, use that properly. And a 15 year old who's just super immature and still uses that incorrectly. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's an individual. I mean, it's got to be an individual thing, right? Maya, I think, could have had one much earlier because mm-hmm. I would say, like, you know, a lot of ways um, she's our kind of most mature child. She's also the oldest. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's totally an individual thing. For me, it's just it's maturity. Can they can they handle uh, – do they have the, the, the right perspective to be able to handle criticism? Can they navigate those waters on how to connect with people through it? Um, you know, can they respond to comment? Can they make, make a comment? Like just little things like that. Do they have the maturity to kind of navigate that world? Mm-hmm. That was what it was for her. And a little bit for me was, do they have something valuable to say? Right. Uh, you know, like, is it just, <laughs> uh, you know, are they to the point where they actually can add value to the community and the system, um, mm-hmm. with their posts? Um, that was kind of the question with Maya, with Jamin, a little bit more of the, the question I was asking was, you know, he at a very young age was like, I want to make it to CrossFit games. I want to, I want to, you know, do fitness as a career. Like I want to, you know, I want to make this my thing. I want to make this my sport. Mm-hmm. And knowing that world and knowing what it takes, I think probably a, a massive presence on the internet is, uh, is a necessity mm-hmm. in order to, you know, make a small niche sport your thing and so i felt like as a father one of my main one of the main things i'm you know want to do is to help our kids follow their passions and to be able to pursue those practically and i think the most practical thing i could have done for him to help him pursue his passion of crossfit and fitness and weightlifting and all that stuff was to simply give him some exposure through that, that platform and so that was a little bit where that one came from cool um, so when I visited, I, rem- I remember you talking a little bit about how when you were, when you were a, an athlete as a kid, your platforms were very different in terms of how you could influence the community around you. And you had some, you had similar hopes for Jamin, but now that the landscape has changed, uh, it warrants, you know, change in approach, right? Can you talk a little bit about what you were like as a, as a kid comp- competing versus how Jamin's like now? Yeah, I was really intense. I worked super hard. I uh, was always like really obedient to my coaches and like put in the extra work, showed up early, you know, stayed late, uh, really liked to win, uh, just like loved the feeling of like achievement and accomplishment and victory. And I would say all of those things are um, very much similar to kind of Jamin's mentality as well. Uh, where we're different is he's really chilled out. Mm. Like it, people don't really know that about him because he's, you know, most of the videos they see and stuff online are of just him like mid workout. <laughs> so mm-hmm. no one looks chilled mid workout, but he's mm-hmm. actually got like a really relaxed demeanor. Like even though he's always moving and always active and like literally never sitting still, he's at the same time, like a very chilled out kid. So it's a very strange combo where I wasn't, I was like high stress, like all, you know, like kind of always just pressing, grinding, and with like my uh, demeanor and personality, really, people describe me as very intense. I don't describe him like that at all. (laughs) How did you respond to like media when you were younger? So you wrestled, correct? Yeah, I was wrestling a baseball player. You know, it's like funny because it's like old school. We were like our coaches like taught us kind of like almost like avoid the media. Like give one word answers, like they're just going to try to kind of expose you uh, and get you to say something, you know, for their newspaper. So like, I I was like, 
you know, all the reporters and stuff that I dealt with, even at a younger age, it was always like very, like very <laughs> vanilla responses of like, just out here to, you know, just out here to get the team better and win, hoping we'd come out to, you know, come out on top today, like real generic stuff. Right. Cause none of it was, no one was thinking that, you know, you should be trying to get exposure and exposure might be like a good thing for a career or the way of the future, mm -hmm. just because it's a newspaper, you know, like you're, you're reaching your hometown of 30,000 people. Like it, it, it was just a whole different ball game back, back then in terms mm -hmm. of like sport and exposure. And I think it's just really different now. Really different. Right. What do you think is a potential for Jamin to use this like social media tool to kind of not find himself, but express who he is? Cause obviously with the no local news outlet for you, that wasn't, that didn't achieve that. Right. Um, yeah, not, yeah, not at all. And in this age, we've talked a little bit about this um, off record, but being authentic is key. Being authentic now on social media, no one re responds to that vanilla responses anymore. Yep. You have to be a person. You have to be someone I can connect with and give me, some, give me a reason to connect with you or like what you're doing or empathize with you or else you're not an athlete I will follow. For sure. I mean, authenticity is, is the currency and it authenticity, you know, that confuses people because authenticity doesn't mean good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean talented. It doesn't mean excellent. It doesn't mean well executed. Like authenticity is just authenticity. It's just, is it real? And I feel like that's the currency. I don't know if it'll always be that way, but it feels like that right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, you know, I'll post a video of him, uh, you know, of Jamin doing 30 muscle ups for time, which is the only seven in the world, you know, year old in the world that I know of right now that can knock out 30 muscle ups in three minutes. And that'll get a little bit of, you know, a little bit of attention on social media. But you post that video that I did the other day of him kind of in the heat of the moment crying because he, you know, was let down by his attempt or something. Mm. And that immediately in the first hour gets far more attention. Like, right. so, you know, the things that people are interested these days are life and authenticity and kind of the realness of the human being. And uh, that really, I don't know, that's just interesting to, you know, to watch play out as we're kind of entering into the social media world. How much of it is realness and how much of, how much of it is whining though? Cause we're what, do talking, you mean, what do you mean by that? Cause like, um, one of the things that I was thinking about was just, you have those people who are on social media and talking about, oh, let's just have some real talk here. This is what happened. And that comes up every like other post. So yeah. how much do you think that is whining about life versus, well, this is authentically myself. I fail and fail and fail and fail. That it's all I do. And do you think people actually believe and see themselves that way? Or are they trying to get attention? I think, uh, I mean, short term, it's... You know, there's a lot of different things that can get a bunch of views, but I think long-term, only real authenticity wins. So I think a lot of those questions of are people being real or not are, will be answered 10 years later if they're still, you know, if they're still mm -hmm. doing what they're doing and, and living their truth uh, and actually, like, you know, practically playing out what they said they were going to do. Uh, so I think that's kind of one answer, but I think the other answer is, like, Authenticity is authenticity, even if it's not good. So somebody could be mm -hmm. authentic, authentically whining, like they're really whining and they're really <laughs> complaining. And then they're going to get all the attention from all the other people 
who are also whining and complaining, which is a lot of people in this world. So mm-hmm. even though someone might be whining and complaining and getting attention on social media, they're still really being authentically in their whining and complaining. And that mm-hmm. will still get, you know what I mean? You can't judge it. Like right. you can't be like, well, that's bad or good. It's like, it's just, it's either real or it's not like, I think good or bad argument can, can actually confuse what's happening sometimes. I think it's like, mm-hmm. well, but was it real or was it not? And if it's real, real, but real. whiny, it's still, yeah. it still will win in terms of getting people to watch it. Cause there's a lot of people who are feeling the mm-hmm. same way of wanting to whine <laughs> and complain. And they like watching it because it validates their own mm-hmm. feelings that they're feeling. So what moment. is the goal for Jamin and Maya with the social media accounts? I think, um, you know, with, with Jamin, I think it's much more, you know, it sounds crazy because he's almost eight, but I really think it's much more career oriented. It's like, it's his sport and he wants to inspire through his sport. We get messages all the time about, oh, now our kids are doing this or I wasn't going to let my child you know, weightlift, but now I am because I watched him do this. Like, I think for him, it's about authentically showing people who he is and what he can do mm. and what he loves to do. And to, you know, it's the, the basic cliche of, of inspire others to uh, live their truth mm. like he's living his. And in social, I think, is going to be key at making that um, – making that to be actual career mm. instead of a hobby. And for Maya? Yeah, for Maya, I think it's a little more just exploring the space in terms of, you know, it's so funny, like, how we'll make social media out to be kind of a, um, we'll kind of blame it for things. You know, like, like for Maya, I, you know, we call her our CEO because she's, <laughs> she's so business-minded. She's, like, so good with people. She's always trying to make a deal. She's always trying to craft up mm. these win-win situations and uh you know make connections and and um things like that and so you know if she would go to like a conference or something and walk around and get business cards and network and get email addresses and email and ask questions we'd be like wow that's amazing like what a driven what a driven Mm. like self-aware nine-year-old but if she gets on instagram and dms an influencer we're like, oh, why is she mm-hmm. wasting time on her tablet? Right. <laughs> her nose yeah. stuck in her tablet. It's like, it's like, it's just 2018 version of what people did 20 years ago. It's just networking. And so we're allowing her to just kind of be herself on social media, kind of be a normal kid, but then also really encouraging um, a two things, a networking environment, um, meet people, connect with people, and then just how to add value to the space. Like what what are you passionate about that you can share with others that might add value to them and having her think critically about that and use um, social media as a, as a platform for the, for those thoughts. One of the things that I think social media gets a lot of crap for is it's how it causes people to be unable to socialize. Are you fearful Mm. at all that the kids are going to grow up? um, Not, unsociable because that's really not how I perceive them but having the having inability to to have a conversation with someone without the use of a a device um I guess there's two ways I'd answer that like one practically no because at the playground or the pool or the gym or anywhere when we go home to the states or 
literally anywhere they go and meet a new person, <laughs> they are the fastest. They are the fastest kids yeah. to make everybody their friend. <laughs> so like practically that's not been anything that I've seen, but even without that, I, I guess I think I'm just not very judgmental about it. I, I think that people are interacting differently these days. And I remember in, when I was in eighth grade, or let's see, I would have been like 14. Maybe I was like a freshman in high school, 14 years old. And I was like the first out of my friends to like text. And I got made fun of so much for texting and looking at my phone and communicating with people through text message. Uh, and, and, and now, you know, instead it's like efficient. And mm. it's, it's better, you know, or whatever. So like, I just think it's going to be the same thing. So like, uh, you know, are, am I, am I concerned that they're not going to be able to, um, socialize? Like mm. my concern was the opposite. My concern that would be that they wouldn't be out of touch with technology and what the world was doing and how the world was socializing mm. and how the world was doing business, that they would be left behind. And so, uh, I, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's how the world's socializing I don't, I guess I just don't see it as like that bad of a thing. I mean, oh, you know, people are always like, oh, they're, you know, people don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. I'm like, don't want to. yeah, they do. They just talk different. They just talk differently. <laughs> like they talk with their fingers and emojis, type yeah. and send emojis and are thoughtful, aren't are thoughtful through different, you know, apps rather than like in person. So like, I don't know, like we've glorified mm -hmm. so much the face to face. And if that's what you're into, great. But if you're not, I don't think it makes you a bad person. And if my kids happen to be like really good through social media connecting, um, do you let them craft like, their own okay responses? Uh, I'm working with Jamin on it right now. So like some of the stuff on his social media is him and some of it is me and some of it's kind of both of us together. Maya is hundred percent right. on her. Um, what about just sort of these negative things that you could possibly see online? And these are pretty much the black and white, you know, don't go there, kid, like pornography and gambling sites and all that. Um, what is for sort sure. of the parenting sure. fail safe you and Emily have for that? Or just kind of let them fall into it. If it happens, it happens. Yeah, you know, that's, this is a great, like, I like this conversation a lot. I also think it's the hardest one. And I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I was talking to Emily about it literally before I, mm. I, we started this. Um, and I think I have an interest, a little bit of an interesting take on it. So yeah, like the short answer is, yeah, that stuff mm -hmm. is a concern. Like for sure, as a parent, you've got to be concerned about, you know, the, the addictive nature and availability of something like pornography and, and all the other things that are like it, you know, all the things that you could list in that category, um, whether it's gambling or, or whatever. So the, the risk of exposure to those things I think is, is big and one that is important, but here's how, here's the, here's the interesting way that I'm seeing this right now. I, I feel like, so the, the, the norm seems to be wait until your kid can mm. handle that with maturity. So like somehow when they're 15 and hormonally <laughs> and emotionally charged, then it's better <laughs> to be confronted with pornography <laughs> on the internet. You know, like when you're going over to your buddy's house and he's like, Hey, look at this. Like, and you've not seen that before because you've been, you know, kind of guarded from it. Like that's the best time. I'm like, mm. well, that doesn't seem real 
that doesn't seem real normal. And I don't have a teenager yet. So I'm speaking a little mm. bit, you know, out of guessing for sure. But the approach that we're taking, again, mm -hmm. we're not there yet. So we're guessing, but this is the approach we're taking is the purity of the heart of yeah. the seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old mm. is incredible. So when they're confronted and we just like, I'll just give you a real story. Like just the other day, uh, our kids were like, you know, a friend of ours who, or whatever's on social media, um, kind of always, you know, in a little bit of like, like thongs and showing her butt on the Instagram and whatever, like, and they're like, Hey, why does she do that? Like, what's up with that? And so we like navigate that and we're like, Hey, that's like, she's, I don't know. Let's look at the caption. Like, like I can't yeah. judge. I don't know why she does what she does. What's the caption say? It's about loving her body and, and it's about, you know, kind of body positive and working hard for something and then like, you know, kind of letting the world see the hard mm -hmm. work and results and all that stuff. Okay. Like, he, like she loves her body. She's worked really, really hard for it. She's not ashamed of it. Like that's why she mm -hmm. posts song pictures, you know, <laughs> and, and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You know, like, or whatever, not judging it, but also not like you know, being all sexually charged mm -hmm. through all of this stuff because they're eight, nine, and 10. So our guess is that as we navigate these waters at a much younger mm -hmm. age than would be recommended, they're going through it with a much more non-judgmental attitude and a much, and they're not in a place where that sort of thing could mm -hmm. get to be an addictive nature yet. So um, they're, they're, they're navigating these waters with, with a purity of heart so that in the time then when they're more exposed to it and, um, you know, when they're kind of beginning mm. to grow up and mature, they will actually have belief systems in place on these topics about a woman's body, about, um, you know, about uh, all the different things that could, you know, potentially cause them to like mm. think they'll have already thought about them. So our approach is how many different topics can we get in front of them to think about these things prior to the teen years versus boy, when they learn about these things and they're teenagers, we sure hope they don't freak out. <laughs> it's about kind of like you know, um, sort of bringing thing. beer into the house and having them try beer with you before they go out to, to rager and, and get blackout drunk. Cause it's their first time ever having beer. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's part of it, but I think even more than that is like helping them understand like what, what is beer and how was it made and what, like, what is his purpose and where is it like, you know, how, how can it be used well and how can it not be used well? And what are the, you know, what's the history of like it, the pitfalls of it and like literally learning mm -hmm. all about the topic and understanding, you know, how it's either helped America, yeah. you know, not America, but helped the world or ruined the world. And, and then out of that place, when someone's like, Hey, do you want, you know, do you want to drink? And they're 14, they're underage or whatever. They're like, nah, like I know all about that stuff. It's not for me. Versus like this curiosity. Right. So like basically nothing is taboo in the Mogard household. L like I, yeah. And probably to like, honestly, I have no idea because we're not there yet, but probably to a fault. But like, I just so overestimate our kids ability to take in advanced topics and to discuss mature topics that, and I just, I just mm. am so wanting to err on that side of it because I feel like it's going to play out better for us. But it's a guess, what, um, but it's, it's what we're doing. I feel like this is going to be a bit of a loaded question, but what makes you so confident in their potential? <laughs> That's a good question. Because it seems like it keeps coming um, back to that, right? You know, just the amount of freedom you give them and, and yeah. who you see them to be. It seems like 
seems like it all comes back to that. So what gives you that much confidence? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just human, like human beings. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I guess I just, I've always been kind of fascinated with the human potential. I've always kind of been fascinated with those stats, you know, those crazy, I don't even know if they're true or not, but like type of stats where it's like, mm. we only use 20% right. of our brains or whatever, you know? And so I just, I guess I just have always believed that there's so much more human potential available um, than is probably tapped into. And then that probably gets really, really, really real when you're talking about um, mm. my own family. Like I just, yeah, I, I actually don't know where that comes from per se, but I have that, I have that belief in me that there's just so much more than we're, we're actually. I think one of the interesting things was that you didn't say that, I mean, cause I know a lot of parents who use their kids as yardsticks of how well they're parenting. So then they're obviously afraid to expose their mm. kids to things because what if they react negatively or poorly or wrongly? And so then that becomes a measure of how the parenting was done. So then they're like, well, let's not ex expose right. them just in case it's, it reflects badly on us. You've like almost completely dissociated yeah. yourself from that process of like, <laughs> how they respond <laughs> is how they respond. That's, that was in their nature. And then your job really is to steer the boat, not really to, to I don't know, power it in, in some ways. I think you're like, I think you're touching on like something that's like so powerful. I mean, maybe even like a bit of the secret, I think, um, in the sense, it's really strange the, the two things that are coexisting in my mind when, I, when I'm thinking about this topic. One is I believe so strongly in the power of parenting and, and believe so strongly mm -hmm. that good parenting, like change, like you know, literally is the, like, if, if I could pick one thing that could have the yeah. greatest impact on the world globally, it would be good parenting. Uh, <laughs> but then simultaneously, not at all feeling responsible for my kids' choices at all and constantly putting the mantra in front of them that you're responsible for you and that's your call and your consequences and you're going to mm -hmm. kind of have to live with that and, you know, that self-empowerment, which seems to kind of be like, well, then the parent doesn't matter because you're saying it's all on them. And I'm like, yeah, it's both, right. like, it's both at Is the same time. Is there a standout, um, you know, memory for you when you've given them freedom and that hasn't panned out well? Or initially hasn't panned out well? In, yeah, in the short term, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Right. all the time you know like you mean when when our son zion rides his bike like literally decided one day that he was going to go to the gym on his bike and our gym is five he's four and our gym is five miles away and he gets on his bike and starts riding that that's a fail <laughs> like that's How a huge fail right out? like it was unsafe like i don't he got out of the gate somehow he's a smart kid you know I mean, the gates closed, we had the parameters in place, um, and he snuck out and thought he was going to ride his bike to the gym <laughs> because he felt so empowered and so free, you know, to do his thing. And, you, you know, well, you told me I can do anything, so that included riding my bike, you know, on the highway. It's like, no, that's, the kid likes his bike <laughs> that's not well. a good idea, right? So, like, in, 
<laughs> all the time. Yeah, he does love his bike. <laughs> all the time in the micro, in the short term, stuff's not working out. But I would argue that, that it all works yeah. out in the long term. What did that conversation 100%. after you found him obviously failing to go to the gym on his bike, what was that like? I mean, it's the conversations, you know, always kind of the, always kind of the same. <laughs> help me understand, help me understand what right. you were thinking. <laughs> right? Like I want to know. And I think that's like a great lesson for kids too, of like, we want them to have compassion and empathy and, and to be able to you know, be, be mm -hmm. patient with others. And so the, the only way to do that, the only way to get kids like that mm. is to do that with them. So Zion helped me understand, you know, and he goes through his little spiel of all those different reasons why he thought that was a good idea. And <laughs> it was actually a really funny story. I can't remember the, the very specific reason he had, but it was very specific and it was thought out and it made, it made a little bit of sense. And so like immediately then you're like, okay, so like, what's like, what's the actual, mm. what's the actual thing I need to parent here? And the actual thing was he was just specifically told <laughs> that he couldn't go outside the gate. Right. Like, I mean, that's it. Like the, mm. the, the rationale was great and it was actually super smart and it was like fearless and uh, it was like ambitious. Mm. Like there's a ton of good about that move to try to go ride his bike to the gym, except the fact that it was really, really, really dangerous and right. he was told not to. So, you know, and then at that point, it just, it becomes a, a it becomes a relational mm -hmm. trust issue. Like when I tell you to do something, do you think it's better for you or not to listen to me, mm -hmm. even if you don't understand? Mm -hmm. And that's all connection, right? It's like, it's not a, that, like that whole issue is not about a practical, he needs wisdom or like he needs to know something new. That whole thing is a connection between a father and son. And does he value enough the connection mm. between me and him to do something that he doesn't want to do, but just because he, but he only wants to do it because he values the connection. He wasn't, he wasn't going to do it because he thought it was a better, a better move, but he would have done it if he valued our connection enough to be, to want to preserve it. Because what he did was he broke the connection. He disobeyed. Mm. And now our connection's broken. And so that's the, that was the problem. And so my take on that one, like in how I would try to parent that is then I've got to try to build that connection stronger and try to build this trust and loyalty between us in that situation, uh, rather than focus on, right. you know, don't ever do that again. It's like, man, that, that, that won't do anything. What will do it is if, if, if we can build a connection that he values enough right. next time to not want to break it. And what's fascinating about that conversation is that means if you really want that to play out, then that connection mm. needs to be a little bit broken. But most parents aren't willing to break that connection and to actually have right. a consequence for their child. And so um, I shouldn't say most. I don't know if that's true. A lot of times parents aren't, though. They're not willing to break that connection. And so then mm. there's not that consequence. So the parent won't break connection, but they'll just kind of scold them. But they won't actually... Um, you know, communicate, you know. Right. So then what do you actually communicate to Zion? Like as if I was just Zion and that just happened, right? And I told you this is, okay, this is all the reasons why. Then what would your response be? Yep. I mean, for me, it's just like, hey, that's really not cool. And now there's a problem between me and you. We've got a relational. Do, do you a relational say those words right to him? 
Like, and we, we <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Like, we're not, we're not, like, we're not cool. Like, you and me aren't cool right now because that, that really scared me. That was really dangerous. That was really not smart. I understand mm -hmm. your reasons and I appreciate that. But still, I told you not to. So, like, you and me, we're not, like, we're not cool. So, you need to mm -hmm. go in that room right there for 10 minutes and think about it and think about if you value our connection enough to next time listen to my words, even if you don't understand. And essentially, I'm just walking him through this mm -hmm. idea of like repentance and forgiveness. All right, you go get him after 10 minutes. All right, is there something that you'd like to say to me? Because our, our mm -hmm. relationship needs restored. And, you know, it's, it's usually apologetic. It's usually um, there's forgiveness there. There's kind of owning his part in the process, cleaning up his, mm -hmm. we call it cleaning up your mess. So he's mm -hmm. cleaning up his relational mess that he created by disobeying. And then the connection's restored. And like, we're all good again, no questions asked. And it's an unconditional full restoration but he's got to go through that process and if he won't go through that process i he think won't that's get restored so cool i mean honestly that's i think one part i was brought up by two asian parents so it, it ends at don't ever do that again go like go do something else right like leave now and yeah. you leave yeah. with this like yeah. sense of worthlessness or guilt like i am that shameful thing that i did like i can't believe like can't believe i did that like I feel no peace in the, the there's no conclusion, right? Um, yep. And so I think that that ends yep. up being just the foundation. Like once that happens, it's like sweeping something underneath the rug and it, it just piles up. And so then that relationship For with sure. your parents just, For sure. it just starts becoming something you want to avoid and not embrace. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yep, yeah. Get it. And he's four, right? Like, mm. And this is what we're talking about. Like I'm overestimating his ability to understand things like relational connectedness, forgiveness, mm. repentance, and all that stuff. Right. But he gets it. Like he does get it. He, did he get it the first time? No, probably not. Mm. The first five, probably not. But now he understands. He now understands what it means to, you know, to break the connection and to have to clean up his mess and restore and restore a relationship. And it's, <laughs> and the tears, <laughs> you know, the tears start coming when he knows like, Oh no, I, I did something to mm. break it. And now I've got to make this right. Like that's tough for a four year. That's tough for anybody, but um, you can tell that he gets it right away yeah. because of his emotional response. I don't think in the amount of time that I've been with you guys, I've seen you yell at your kids at all. It has literally <laughs> never happened. You've never raised your voice at them. And, <laughs> It, and it's it's happened though. I, I will say <laughs> this though: the amazing thing that Emily can do is, I there was this one time I was at your house, and all Emily had to say to Kala, who's this crazy wild spirit, right? Like, does what she wants, wears what she wants, or yeah. doesn't want to wear. Um, yeah, she wore a cowboy red cowboy <laughs> boots to the pool today. By the way. And she turns to Kala, I can't remember what she was doing, and he just, she just says, behave. And she calms down completely. It's like, it's like a magic trick unlike on any other. Yeah. Like, it is insane. What is the trick to that? What, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think with the yelling thing, like, we're just, um, yeah. we're not big on fear. Like, we're not, we're not cool if, if our kids are are responding only out of fear. I think there's an element of fear that's healthy, but like for the most part, we think it's a fairly ineffective way to mm. get obedience out of our kids. And so like yelling usually 
mm-hmm. is, is that one. So if it needs to be really fast or it's unsafe and, and the, the response needs to be immediate, like yelling's effective, but after that, like we just don't. Um, I think that what you're talking about is Emily being so, mm-hmm. she's just not a rules person at all. So like, and she's not going to give like firm mm-hmm. commands like that very often. Mm-hmm. So when she does, it's like, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like we've reached, we've reached another level, you know, where if you're saying that, stop it. I told you to stop yeah. it. If I have to tell you one yeah. more time, if I have to tell you, <laughs> it's just so like, I guess the simplest way to explain that phenomenon, I think is she does what mm-hmm. she says she's going to do. And so they believe her when she says behave and they're like, Oh, we know, we know, we know that if we're, we don't, something's going to happen versus versus another scenario where you've told your kids 15 times to behave. And for 15 times, nothing's happened. They're like, we're pretty sure <laughs> yeah. on the 16th time, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think for, I just, the simplest rule of thumb that I think she lives by is like, uh, I'm going to do what mm. I say I'm going to do. But honestly, like her, I think her key to success on that is she doesn't say she's going to do a lot of stuff. She's not making a ton of rules that she has to police. So she's not, she's not, you know, losing trust very often where a lot of times there's so many rules. There's so many, you know, deals being made. There's so many, if you do this one more time, so many threats, empty threats that you lose trust with your kids real quick because there's no way that you could actually fulfill and make good on all those things where she's, she's never doing that. She's never making those empty threats. She's never making, um, she's not making promises very often. She's not um, giving too many commands that then she has to police or, you know, kind of follow up on. And so when she does say something, it's like, Mm. okay. And are you the same way? Do you, how do you guys um, differ in terms of parenting or complement each other? Yeah, we're very, I would say, you know, Emily is, she she's like i said she's not for rules she's full of compassion mm-hmm. she's very in the moment i'm long i'm long term perspective i'm like i'm willing to let you guys go through hard mm-hmm. and suffer and whatever because i'll see it through long term she's very in the moment so she's immediately meeting needs full of compassion kind of helping get the goal accomplished in the moment all the time and so we you know we complement each other very well because, um, you know, she's kind of the nurturing, compassionate one. And I'm kind of the one who's, um, laying down the truth and really Mm -hmm. holding a firm line. Uh, and I think, yeah, like it just, they go, they go, they're, they're not at odds though. Like they're not, um, they go well together. Like they're the same thing in just different, in different, um, forms. Like they're both love. They're both love. It's just like sometimes love is tough and sometimes love says you've got to clean that up and I know it's hard and I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but you've got to clean it up. And then sometimes love gets on your knees mm-hmm. and says, let me help you clean that up and, you know, and let me mm-hmm. do that with you or even for you. And so it's not an either or, but it's you know, a balance right. of those two things. One of the things so, that stood out to me was when you flew Javen and Maya to the, I think it was our second Asia Championships final. And you allowed them to sell shirts to make uh-huh. up for their uh, flight ticket. <laughs> yeah. And I remember both of them yeah, being so right. exhausted at the end of the day. And they're trying to pick up like litter so that we can go home. 
And they were so, so tired. The look on their faces were, I just can't describe. It breaks my heart every time I think of it. But there was just, not that there was no compassion, but you just, you were okay with letting them do that. Like, you weren't like, oh, just go to sit down in the corner and be quiet and don't do anything. You're like, no, pick, help pick up so we can go home. And it goes with, um, yeah. it goes yeah. with you treating them like adults, treating them at a, at a level that, you know, you want them to respond in. Um, what were some yeah. of your sort of takeaways from that experience, taking them to a comp like that? And would you do that again? I mean, that, that's, that's probably one of the examples. It's like borderline. Like they, we were up at like, what, 6 a.m. there at like 7. We got home mm -hmm. at like 9 or 10. I don't know where they ate lunch. <laughs> I don't know if they ate lunch. <laughs> like I, I was like, all right, you, we're here. Like seriously, like, like you guys know the mm -hmm. deal. I told, like I warned them in advance, like you're not going to see me much and like mm -hmm. it's 7 a.m. and see ya. And then at the end, we were, you know, picking up trash. I was like, hey, like, yeah. we finished strong in this family. <laughs> so, like, that's what we do, you know. Our, our kind of our mantra, at least for working out, is be safe, have fun, finish strong. And, like, we finished strong. So, like, we had to finish that day. But, like, that is an example of um, after that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I was tough in the moment, right? Like, hey, finish strong. You signed up for this. You know what you're getting yourself into. Let's do this, you know, pep talk stuff. But after, mm -hmm. like, the next day, I remember sitting down with yeah. them. I think it was in the airport. Uh, or if that was the last day, like the next, next, like a couple of days later, whenever we were flying home and I remember saying like, Hey, I get it. Like, even though I'm tough in the moment and kind of keeping you guys on track, like mm -hmm. I get it. That was a lot to ask. And like, you guys did a really good job and just kind of went through all the different things that I thought they did super well. Like all the, mm -hmm. the people that they met and respected and, and just all the stuff that I was like, I want you guys to understand that I understand that that was way beyond mm. probably your capacity, but mm. you made it like, look at that, you know? So like you wouldn't have ever made it and you would never felt like that feeling unless you gave it a shot. So I think that's super important. Like, I think it's really important for me as somebody who pushes the envelope and kind of explores what potential a kid has at a young age, but then after it's all over to help them understand that you realize mm. that that was tough and that was a lot to ask and that, um, yeah, that, that right. maybe that was even too much, Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm fine with admitting that. And they're like, Oh, okay. Like, and then they all, they feel fine about it. Cause they're like, okay, cool. He's not like crazy, yeah. but like he gets it. That was hard. And so then we connect over that and it's all, it's all good. But that would like, if Emily was there, that would have never happened. <laughs> Just so you right. know. <laughs> um, I mean, I know that for sure that she's, Maya at least would never forget that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or they yeah. still talk about it. The, they still talk about it. In the it. interview that I did with her, yeah. like she brings it up as one of the examples of you giving her a chance to be a leader, just what, you know, she wants to do and just talk about tools, right? Like what more can you give a kid a part of real life experience of doing the thing that they want to see themselves doing for the rest of their lives, which is, yeah, becoming an entrepreneur. Yep. Um, speaking of Asia Championships, yep. though, what is happening for Asia Championships this year? And what are some of your aspirations for just the new format? Yeah, so there's a different, we've done something very unique. And anytime you're, you know, changing something, there's going to be, uh, yeah, it's an ex, kind of an explanation or some, mm. uh, like a slower start to something. So we've changed the format this year to where we've created a system that actually 
tells you how good a competition is in terms of its talent. So if there's a competition that has, you know, really high caliber athletes, you're going to get a certain amount of points based on your placing in that competition. That'll be greater than, you know, winning a competition mm -hmm. with not as mm -hmm. high caliber athletes. And so that's really unique because we're actually able to kind of, you know, look at athletes performance throughout the year in different local competitions and kind of add some strength and value to these local competitions by bringing, um, just this information to the, the Asia-wide community of like who's there and how good are they mm. and how good is everyone there. And then we can, we've essentially take, we'll take this information and we've compiled it into what we call the Asia Championships Cup Series leaderboard. And, you know, you throughout the year get points based on how you're, how you're doing. And then the, uh, the top 32 male, 24 female, 60 master a male 60 master female or eight master female will be rewarded with a gotcha. invitation and to the so finals. with this new format basically people can compete in as many competitions as they'd like or as few right if they just pick one and do really well in that would that be commensurate to someone who does kind of mid-tier in like five different events uh, five different competitions yeah you you you're gonna take your top scores so if you, you know, if you do one and you don't do well, you can mm -hmm. go do another one and, and replace mm -hmm. that score with your new score. And so there's definitely incentive to be competing throughout the year to kind of, and it's also incentive to pick the toughest competitions that you mm -hmm. want. You want the best guys. You want to be competing against the best guys because that's how you're going to get the rewarded the most. So there's, there's, um, there's value for the athlete to be choosing top caliber mm -hmm. people to compete against. There's also value for the competition yeah. to be trying to draw in the top caliber because, you know, you get that momentum going and everybody kind of knows this is where good guys are going. Then everybody else is going to want to get in there right. because that's it becomes the more valuable wherever you place regardless. Yeah. Right. Right. This is the first, I think what's unique about it is this is the first time I've heard of, of a system that allows somebody to say, I can tell yeah. you how good this competition Agreed. is. You know, um, so that's real, that's real interesting. I think it can be used and done anywhere. Like, you know, what's better, Wadapalooza mm -hmm. or the Granite Games or the yeah. East Coast Championships? Like, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know. But I think with this, with this formula, we could tell you, like, fairly confidently in any sort of given mm -hmm. pool of athletes, like, who's... Uh, like where that strength and confidence and that, lies. That's cool too because it's not a stagnant score. It's not like, you know, Granite Games is marked with, you know, this is just the level it's at, right? If you're better and you want to do something that's tougher, you go to Wadapalooza or, right? It's always going to fluctuate based on who signs up, right? Right. Yeah, correct. And, and, you know, if you get fifth in this comp versus 11th in this comp, Right now, you have no way of knowing what that yeah. means. But this, this actual um, format slash formula actually gives you a, an objective number um, that we think is accurate to tell you which Do you feel like that's sort of the form. biggest uh, hole in the competition seen in Asia so far, in, just in terms of the ambiguity of it? Or what do you, so what problem are you trying to solve with, um, with the Asia Championships Cup Series? Yeah, I just think um, mm. people don't really know what it means. Like if I got first first at Hopper Warrior and third at, 
you know, in a competition in Seoul and then went to um, the mm. Bangkok Brawl and got eighth. And then, the, then I went to the middle throwdown and, and got, you know, 11th. Yeah. Like, what does that, what does that mean? Because based on what guys yeah. signed up there, yeah, you know, exactly. like, well, who, who yeah. was there? Who, who wasn't there, you know? And like for myself, for an example, if I'm at a competition, right. it becomes a tougher competition. If I'm not at a mm-hmm. competition, it doesn't. If, if, if Aunt Haynes and Antonio Barrios and Carlos mm-hmm. Albadejo show up somewhere, that's going to be a really tough competition podium. If they went last year, but they didn't come yeah. this next year to whatever, then that competition was tough last year and not nearly as tough as those, mm-hmm. those, those type of guys now show up. So, yeah, I think it's just because there's so many different people who are competing and not competing and her and not her and, you know, all sorts of stuff. It just gives you info on, like, what actually is right. happening at this comp. Cool. Um, what are yeah. – so what are some of the hurdles that you've kind of faced with your team with regards to – I mean, the, to address the elephant in the room, obviously, I've left the – Asia championships earlier this year. Um, a big part of that was just because I felt like there was nothing much more that I could contribute to the growing of it, you know, in the sense that apart from deepening what we were already doing. Um, and I felt like a lot of times I was sort of the bottleneck for our growth in a different dimension. So I decided to take a seat, mm. a back seat and, and leave. Um, and I, I like the, for the, for the record, I like the Cup Series. I think it makes a lot of sense. And if we pull this off, mm-hmm. I think it would be it'd be something that people look towards Asia to try and copy and bring it back to the to Europe or to the States. It would make sense to. Um, mm-hmm. If it yeah. value adds, it doesn't take anything away from the competition owners. It value adds to the athletes, and it drives competition to be better um, wherever people are. So yeah. I like that a lot. Um, what are some of the hurdles that you face transitioning to this new model? It's always just about unity. You know what I mean? It's just unity of the community, kind of getting everybody on board with this idea that there's value in the PGA tour of right. competitive fitness or, you know, the, the NASCAR, uh, I don't even know what it is, monster cup series or whatever the current sponsor is, but you know, it's, there's all the, a lot of these sports that have different local mm-hmm. competitions going on have decided it's valuable enough to bring some unity to them and kind of have the season culminate and be able to say an athlete has had a good season or not a good season or somewhere in between based on how they performed at these different local competitions. And so the hurdle is just simply um, everybody understanding why there's value in, in having that sort of information at the end of the year. Because right now these you know local competitions are great and people kind of go and have have a good time and you know and 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 it's awesome. But I think long term, uh, where like what's going to be necessary for it to become you know continue to become mm-hmm. more legitimate of a sport and to have some longevity is to actually going to have some data to to support and to actually say right. what's just what's going I on. I mean, competition obviously seems like a really big part of your life and not just in terms of you running one, but also you competing, you encouraging Jamin to compete. Did he do um, Beast of the Southeast this year? Last year? Yeah. Uh, like but he did league. No. Uh, yeah, like he competes in like our local league, but like the scaled right. weights are still so, out of his reach. Um, 
I want to kind of touch a little bit about your identity as a competitor. Um, and we kind of, we, we dipped our toes in that a little bit when you talked about you as a kid, you being very intense. Has that changed at all? And how do you think people perceive you as a competitor um, at regionals? It always, it always, um, I just want to say it always not shocks me. I, I guess I still get surprised when we travel together and people come up to you and, and like freak out. Oh my God, you're Michael Mogart and like ask you for a picture. <laughs> um, you are a little bit of a star in Asia. <laughs> Only most decorated athlete in Asia. Um, has, what's, how do you see yourself as a competitor and how do you think people see you as a competitor? Um, it's interesting. I'm in a different season, obviously with like, my goals are different than if, if I was in a different place, or I should say this, my goals right now are, are, are highly contingent on my place in life right now. So like I'm running businesses, I've got four children, like my son <laughs> is already better than I am. <laughs> so like, like, um, so like my, like, it's just about, like, for me, like the mindset is just, it's all about goals. Mm. Like what, like, what are my goals? I've got this little thing that I always share on social media. It's like, what are my goals? What are my weaknesses? And then what am like, my programming is what I'm doing as mm. a reflection of my goals and weaknesses. And my goals right now is they, they have been for a very long time are to actually be fitter at mm. 50 than I was at 30. Right. So like, that's a really ambitious goal. Like, could I, could my numbers be, you know, far superior at age 50 you made it harder uh, for yourself by 30. being so fit everybody now, kind of it, goes. <laughs> it really is not. <laughs> I got I got, I got some things I need to do to make that happen. But, you know, that's, that's been the goal. And then the, the next short-term goal there is, like, um, if kind of all things stay on track, and I don't like looking too far ahead in the future in terms of, you know, the day-to-day, -day, but um, I would love to go back to the CrossFit Games because I had kind of a – I qualified in 2013 and kind of had a bad experience. I don't think anybody would <laughs> say Injury, early departure. Uh, I would like to kind of go back and quote unquote, write some of those wrongs and just like have a good experience to cross the game so that my, you know, that I can kind of look back and be like, that was, that was cool. I kind of overcame that hurdle and, and, and um, you know, yeah. Uh, and then I would really like to do that with one of my kids being a teen competitor. I just think that'd be super cool. Like the master team combo, um, going together, competing together, I think would be yeah. like a real fun, a real fun ride and kind of expression of, of a lot of these principles and yeah. parenting stuff that we're talking about. So when I'm 40, you know, James 14, and that'd be a great year to make that happen. So like right now, my mentality as a competitor is actually much more, yeah. it's being much more patient um, than it has been in the past. And I've got a very long-term perspective about staying injury-free and healthy and, um, you know, making those real, real micro improvements mm. on the day-to-day. -day. Cool. That is, that is really yeah. cool. Um, I'm going to close this out with some rap rapid-fire questions. I've, you've seen these already, so it shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be tough for you to, to answer. <laughs> I'm trying to really? think what they were, and I can't okay. remember. Okay, good. That means we're gonna. I'm gonna get the upper hand here. Um, okay, there are only six questions. The first question: favorite go-to right. snack. Mm -hmm. Favorite go-to snack: peanut butter and jelly. Yep. Easy. That was a free right there. <laughs> every day. Second question. Every day. 
What's your beast mode playlist? <laughs> What's your top three song you like to, you know, before you hit a heavy bench or heavy deadlift? I gotta be honest. I'm not, I'm right now not a music guy at all, but I, like, I enjoy listening to, like, punk, like, old what? punk rock during. Like, Good Charlotte? Like, what kind of punk rock? During my sessions. <laughs> Ooh, I like Good Charlotte. Oh. I like Blink-182. I like, I mean, like, a little bit of Green Day right out, Chili Peppers. Oh. Like, they're not really punk, but, but, you know, that, that whole, that whole world right there, like. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, that's. Fair uh, enough. I like that stuff. Good Charlotte, though. Good call. <laughs> good Charlotte. The gym. Uh, What's a guilty pleasure of yours? <laughs> it can be a food t- thing, a like a massage or whatever. What's a guilty pleasure? Uh, Billions. Mm-hmm. It's a TV show. Billions. Yeah. What do you like about yeah. it? Do you know it? Oh, it's just... Uh, I like... Like business fast, like the high pressure, like corporate business world is like very interesting to me. So you mm. kind of get like a behind the scenes look at like the idea that one click of a button and like quick thinking could be like $10 million or $30 million. And you've got to make that decision with a click of a button is like, it's right. very fascinating. That uh, do you have a favorite quote? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, I mean, I think it changes a lot. I did, I did remember this question. I think the the quote is um, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself," and the the end part, uh, like loving yourself, is so key and so such mm-hmm. a hot topic right now. But I think so misunderstood out there. So like I've been really spending a lot of time, you know, just thinking about this idea of what does it mean to love your neighbor mm-hmm. as you love yourself. Cool. Uh, favorite gift you got as yeah. a kid? There's okay. two. Can I have two? One what? was an iguana. A, a green iguana that was like, it grew to be, I mean, it was big. It got real big to the point, And then it whipped its tail like so hard that you could not feed it. Like you couldn't put your hand in or he'd whip your tail like, or he'd whip the tail on your hand like leave welts. I literally like put a football <laughs> helmet on to feed this thing. That's crazy. <laughs> what, what was his name? Uh, Spike, because he had like yes. spikes down his back. <laughs> it looked like a little dinosaur. The other one was a uh, monster truck. You know, like those little mo- those kid monster trucks that you just cruise around the neighborhood. I'm getting a very good picture yeah. of you as a kid now. Heart. <laughs> Aggressive <laughs> pet wrestling <laughs> prodigy. Uh, last question. <laughs> Most useful purchase you've made under a hundred dollars recently. Um, the most, the thing that we get the most mileage out of in our household is a basic gymnastics hmm. mat. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have tile floors and it's amazing. Like we'll be sitting there and maybe like our kids really don't get bored much, I would say, but cause they're always kind of a little bit crazy. But if they ever were, as soon as you roll out and kind of, you know, gymnastics mat your floor like it immediately becomes like this crazy yeah a playground like this tumbling gym and it's like it's wild how you can transform your living room to a an active place by like just manipulating the environment just a little bit so we laid out the mats you could have wrestling gymnastics cross i mean it's all it's just game on so i yeah i think gymnastics mats matting for the tile floors is i did not expect that the answer cool <laughs> all right, that is that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for making time, Mo. 
and uh, let's speak again soon. For sure. Bye. Thanks for having me. And that's it. It's a wrap. And to all three of you who made it all the way to the end, thank you so much for listening. Before you leave, I would love to put power in your hands to give me a story or someone to interview that you'd love to see on this podcast. So hit up Instagram, type in at betterpodcast and leave me a message. Thanks guys. Peace.